Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, a combat sports variety show that brings you analysis, fight breakdowns, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes and Victor Rodriguez. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to episode 223 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and I'm joined, as always, by this awesome motherfucker right here, Victor Rodriguez. And today, we're just going to keep going with our new approach of grabbing headlines as we record to hopefully give you fresher news and opinions. Now, Victor, we were talking just now about The Last of Us, and you told me something interesting. You said you're really excited about watching it, but you're not going to until what? I gotta finish the first game, at least just the first one. I, I haven't, I, I don't really know too much about the second one, but I, yeah, I really, really want to do that. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm excited for various reasons. I've heard so much praise for it. Um, I, I love Pedro Pascal. I think he's extraordinary. I think he's affable, charming, and amazing. Uh, I've been seeing Nick Offerman was in a uh, an episode recently, and uh, it was another tearjerker. So I'm good. I'm good with it. You know, I, I'm, I'm. I'm, uh, I'm I'm a big I'm a big fan of you know like what I've heard about Indian films that Indian people love crying at the movies. I love something that'll make me feel, and uh, I'm I'm good for it. I really want to check it out because I've been hearing so many great things about how it's been so well made and it's uh, well structured and emotional. It follows a lot of the uh, beats of the game as well. And uh, I mean, I enjoyed some of the games. Some of it's a little clunky and messy in the gameplay. I don't I you know it's. It's got some problems, but uh, I was really enjoying the story. And for some reason, I just got sidetracked with other more, um, uh, more like breakneck speed type games and stuff. And I just, I didn't really get around to finishing it. What's your game right now that you're playing, that you're obsessed with? Oh my God. Well, okay. So I got back into uh, Shadow of Mordor. Uh, it's What's based that? on Lord of the Rings. Oh, okay, all right. And it's basically the guy who forged the the original yes. ring, Celebrimbor, and he makes a pact with a human soldier, general, ranger, whatever, uh, in which the dude is now they're bound, they're they're like linked spiritually, right? In a manner where Celebrimbor can take over his body and gain some form of mortality. You get killed in the game, the dude is condemned to continue to live, which is one of my favorite. When it's well done in a game, it's like, okay, there's an excuse for why you keep coming back, right? But it's like, it's torture. You know, and one of the big twists is near the end, big spoiler alert for a game that came out like nine years ago. Uh, It turns out, Celebrimbor didn't really need to keep his body for this long. He could have let him just die in peace and, and have his soul cross over to be with this dude's family. But he, out of his own greed and ambition to destroy Sauron, he didn't. And that just that's just another stab in the heart. It was just like, oh, fuck, I can't believe this was you – know, it, it was it, – it, this is another, another one that unexpectedly uh, – the story got really good near the end, and I did not expect it. Uh, surprise Gollum appearance. Like, I'm not a big Lord of the Rings fan, but I loved the way that this game did it, and it's super exciting. There's a great um, enemy system where, like, any, like, general enemy can kill you, and, like, you know, they'll come back and taunt you later on. Like, oh, bitch, didn't I kill you last time? And you're like, oh, fuck, that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, so you, like, establish grudges. It, it's it's pretty groovy there. Uh, between that and what was the other one I was playing? I was playing Fallen Order, the Star Wars game. A little bit ago oh, too where are you that's Hello. Hello. see that's a great one because the point where i was at 
I was at a point where it was just a marvelous high. It was a thrill a minute. I'm like, there is no way this game could possibly get any better. And it started looking like it was. And then, holy shit, it just like all the cracks started to show. I'm like, this this next stage that they put me in was just so bad. Just horrible. I was just a slog getting through it. So now I'm past that and hopefully to better things. I, I don't know. I'm I'm going to see what happens from there. But um, I just start slipping into older games and uh, been obsessed with Vampire Survivor, which they give you a seizure warning at the beginning. I don't think there's enough seizure warnings in the game. It's lots of flashing lights, but it's super exciting. <laughs> well, I just started gaming like regularly about a year and a half ago, and I played two games. But let me give you a preface before that. I'd only played limited stuff. Like, we'll, we'll say this back when the first PlayStation came out, at the same time, Sega Saturn came out. They literally yeah. released the same week. But instead of going for the PlayStation, I was enamored of a game called Mist. Oh yeah, it was yeah, available I remember Mist. on Sega Saturn, and they had like a new updated version um, called Riven. So I was able to play Mist and Riven on the Saturn, but you couldn't play it on the PlayStation. So right. that was what made me choose that. And unfortunately, Mist, the first copies that went out had a glitch in them. So you can oh. never finish them. And they never released the fix until like two years later. And by then I'd already given up on it. But after that, I didn't game for a very long time until like the Xboxes came out. And I play, I play, um, the Lego Star Wars and Mortal Kombat and Left 4 Dead. And then I stopped gaming until 2021. Um, the day before my birthday, my husband was just dying to, to have me game with him, play some game with him. And so he said, let's try out Star Wars The Old Republic. Mm. He said it's it's one where there's multiplayers and you can fight other players if you want. You can fly around. You can run missions. Let's try it. And I'm addicted. I love it because I, I took to PvP like a duck to water. I could smoke people right and left. It is insane how I mow people down. <laughs> and that's my game. That's my little game. And the other one that I just started playing was Horizon Zero Dawn, which is really incredibly hard for me because I'm a button masher. I'm not someone that can work a rotation. My reflexes just don't work that way anymore. Right. So yeah. I need button masher type stuff. And you know what? It's really hard to be a button masher in Horizon Zero Dawn. You really have to pay attention. So it's then really you should... hard for me. You should you should try Vampire Survivor because really? there's only there's only one button and one thumbstick and that's it. Oh, you just guide and choose what upgrade you're gonna get. And after after the first few turns, after you get killed a bunch, it starts. You know, it gets to a point where you become an, almost godlike. But it is here's yes. the thing: I play from my computer. I don't play from um, a console. I'm not good with. Oh, it's on everything. Oh, is it? Yeah, oh, it's okay. a tiny little game. It's not. It's it's pixel art. It's super cute. It's like a tribute to oh. Castlevania in a way. But oh. then it gets to a point where your attacks fill the entire screen, and you're just obliterating everything, laughing your ass off. It's brilliant. I do want to try The Last of Us though, because watching the show, I went into the show completely blind. I have never played. I don't know anything about the gameplay. I didn't know the names of the characters. I knew nothing. I'd only heard of the game you know of the title and that people played it and that's it i was never 
curious about it. So now I want to play it. I want to try it out. I want to check it out because the show has me captured. I mean, it's captured me like no other show has done in quite some time. Even when I first started watching Game of Thrones, I don't think I was as wowed as this. I mean, this right. is incredible storytelling. It really is. I'm so mm. impressed. And from what I'm understanding, like you mentioned earlier, they stick very close to the storyline. And what gets me is that apparently when they did the, the companion game or the second game in 2014, they told more of the story. And people are out there. I wish they would stick to the story and stop showing gay romance and the gay agenda. Guess what? Ellie's gay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this was always going to be a progressive story. So oh, you guys gosh. need to kind of chill out with that because they are following right along with this story. No, this is this is this is the thing about American media, and I can't remember who it is that said it, but there's something about how audiences don't truly understand or don't really give much deep thought to the the media that they consume mm-hmm. because. It's the same phenomenon. It's the same thing you saw. People like this Watchmen show was getting too political. I- I'm sorry, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? You know, or that that idiot Ian Chong, who's uh, uh, just the scourge of Twitter, a guy who Jake Shields follows incidentally and reshares all his shit. Uh, talking about next thing you know, you're going to tell me RoboCop was political. Like, oh, okay. So it you just was. you didn't you oh don't my think. God. This is what happens when you don't think and you don't really engage with media in the manner in which you should. But that's just kind of what ends up happening. And I should mention, because I mention this every time he comes up in conversation, Ian Miles Chong is the same guy who tweeted something to the effect of uh, women having their menstrual period for about 18 days. Oh, my Lord. I'm not kidding. (laughs) We are talking about games for a specific reason, because I was involved in a Twitter conversation that I tagged Victor in on, where people are speculating about ESPN and Disney, because apparently Disney had a really, really bad 2022, and our looking to make some serious uh, restructuring changes. And here's Bob Iger back. And Bob Iger is known as the hatchet man. He's the executioner. So people are starting to wonder if maybe ESPN will be the one to be on the chopping block because Victor, what might they be looking at? So the rumor that I was seeing there was the potential purchase of Sony's video game branch. Um, It's a little dicey to me, but I'll I'll let you go first. I want to hear your thoughts on this. I see. This is where I would defer to you because I'm fresh to gaming. I didn't even realize how massive the gaming industry is, but I saw 10 times bigger than sports and movies combined. Is that true? Does that what? even seem like a right number? You know what the thing is? I mean, I'm not sure what those figures it's 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 hard to really quantify because you gotta understand like what metrics they're using and, and how they're you know, what they're factoring and what they're not. Um they're very, very big business. It's just really funny to me when you see these outlets like, you know, they, they treat 
video games like they're nothing but toys. It's just for children. But then you turn on to their business shows and it's like, hey, these the new Call of Duty is set to break records with more billions. And you're like, well, wh- wh- which is it, man? I mean, are we to take this seriously or not? Like you guys cause it positive coverage when it comes to the money. But yeah, so, so that's saying something, right? Socially, they don't want too much to do with it. But when it comes to the money, they certainly uh, love the noise that it's making. And I, I just... I question whether or not this is the direction that things are going to go in. Yes, Bob Iger is a hatchet man, much like David Zaslav, who was the uh, gentleman from Discovery who's now running HBO and making the decisions that are almost admirable. It's almost like the Biden administration. They're just finding a way to piss everybody off every single time on every side of the equation. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I would I don't know how they would get rid of ESPN considering that the most lucrative television properties right now are live sports because you, you, you can't, it's not like a rerun, you know, you're not skipping it. It's happening. It's there. Um, I don't know how that would even, I don't know how you'd get rid of something like that, especially when, if you look at how the pandemic was going and shows were shut down, ESPN had the UFC running and making uh, a lot of their, um, a lot of their profits and, and generating a lot of their revenue and keeping a lot of viewers engaged. I don't get how and with what conscience you would think that that would be the smart thing to do if it's such a potential driver for revenue. Um, then again, I, I'm not privy to their internal numbers. I mean, they, we do know that uh, ESPN is paying them. You know, the UFC is making big money from ESPN regardless, right? The, the, the pay-per-view figures are not quite as important. They don't live or die by the pay-per-view sales as they used to. We're like, oh, it needs to be at 250,000 sales in order for it to be a success. It doesn't really matter anymore because they're still getting millions per show. And it seems that with all the ads that they have and the revenue that it's generated for ESPN Plus with the subscriptions on top of the cut that they get from the pay-per-view and all that um, doesn't seem like something that they want to get rid of. And I don't know where Disney would want to do something like that and think that that's, you know, you're, you're, you're cutting costs, but you're also cutting what would be the thing that's making you, if it's not making the most money for you, it's, it's probably pretty damn close. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of in, uh, in a bit of, uh, at a loss for, for words here as to how they would, if they actually pull that off, like, really, that seems kind of, it seems rather ill-advised to me, but again, I'm not really, I don't have a look at the inner workings and what potential pitfalls there might be for uh, Disney financially to keep them around, but uh, you can kick out five more seasons of The Mandalorian. I'm sorry. It's probably not going to make you the same kind of money in the same way that live sports can generate. But what I'm asking, though, is is the gaming industry as big as they're saying? Because it's massive. It's certainly massive. That it's bigger than, than the movie industry, than the music business. They're saying that the gaming industry is the the last undiscovered territory for Disney right now to really like go whole hog into the gaming side of things. And that Hmm. if it's that big, it's bigger than ESPN then. But here's the thing with that, right? Like, I don't know, like when you say that it's bigger than film, well, like, 
I'm not really sure that that's the case. If you look at it in aggregate, right? If you look at it like is is the entire gaming industry bigger than, for example, Disney and all their film properties? Then fine, sure, because you're taking the totality of an industry right. versus one uh, one segment. Good. And I don't know if that's what they're referring to. But you also have to consider. Look at Microsoft; they just bought Bethesda. Uh, they're in. You know, they, there's there's a lot of moves that are being um, made here for consolidation and, mm-hmm. and property ownership. And um, I, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily bigger than the other two. Definitely not. So, I mean, maybe more so than the music industry in terms of record sales. But the music industry is not just comprised of that. It's also comprised of 360 deals where the record companies also work in tandem or outright own the uh, the touring rights and fees and everything there. So they're getting cuts off of that as well. They're financing and also taking off the top from the tours, which is the live uh, events. And that's where the real money is in the music industry and always has been. Um, I, I just, I just don't, I'm a little, I'm really concerned as to where these things are going. I'm just seeing a lot of rumbling about like investors are, are saying that they should. I don't know what that means that they will. And I don't think that that's, I, I'm not sure that these people that are whispering in the ears of these uh, reporters or, or uh, financial planners or, or executives are maybe as in tune with what could happen and how this can go wrong. Well, here is where the conversation started. It was with Combat Chronicles. So if you guys want to check out this conversation, it's at Combat CR. And here is what they said. I've heard rumors that Disney might want to get out of the ESPN business. So maybe they don't want to even partially tank one of the biggest deals it has while it's in limbo. Only rumors, loads flowing around since Iger has come back. And then the next person talked about how they're definitely looking at significant restructure. ESPN would be a very clean way to cut a significant cost burden. Thoughts? Again, you're cutting costs, but, you know, look at the Super Bowl is soon. You know what I mean? You look at what the NFL generates for ESPN. You look at what MLB generates for ESPN. Like there's just I just don't see them doing that. And that's just those two sports like sure. ESPN plus will show you, you know, like tag. I'm not kidding. They generally they genuinely have tag uh, as as one of the sports they have. They've got cricket. I mean, there's a lot of this stuff that is more to appeal to international audiences. But it's it, it, they're selling ads off of that. They're making money, man. It's it, it's an ad service. It's a paid for service that still funnels commercials in it, which is really rather insulting. If you think about it, you're paying a premium, hopefully to avoid that. But we've gone the route that cable TV has now, ultimately with with um, with streaming and and this in in, in this presentation at least. And uh, that means that they're still making money off both ends. Yeah. I, I don't understand how between that and the live ad reads and the sponsors on the field or in the cage or on the on the pitch, like it, they're making money through so many ways. I just don't understand how this would be advisable or how this would be like, yeah, this is the move because we're, it, would, it would save us. But it seems incredibly short sighted to me. What would you game development? Especially in this environment, for you to play, like you were talking about Horizon Zero Dawn, how long did it take to make that game? It took years, especially a new IP. That's why you're seeing so many sequels, because you can build upon the infrastructure of the previous game that you've already spent so much money on. And you have a larger studio like an Ubisoft, right? They can use the engine from Watch Dogs 
and apply that to Assassin's Creed or vice versa. Uh, you can use what EA does and use the mechanics and the physics engine for FIFA and apply that to Madden. And those games will have a, a quicker turnover largely because of that because they're building off of existing tech. They're simply adding or subtracting or just modifying certain things. And you can do that in that case. But for you to make like a Devil May Cry 6 it's going to take you three, four, maybe five years, especially with the demands that the new console generations has or generation has. But if you're playing something like I just mentioned, Vampire Survivors, I'm sure that probably made probably probably less than a year because it's a it's a tiny it's an indie game. You know, it doesn't really. But how much money is that really making? It's not making the kind of return that a Disney would really have. And I should mention Disney's been making they've been in the games industry in some capacity for almost 30 years. But if you it's remember been small. It's really, really small. And it's just one off stuff. It's not anything. Yeah. They 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 started stuff. yeah. They they they've they've sort of published in conjunction or they've licensed yeah. things. Yeah. They they they've they had their own studios. You know, BlackRock was uh part of that. Um they had their own Disney interactive studios, which I believe was shuttered at some point in shit, I don't know, twenty fourteen I think mm-hmm. I can't quite remember. So it's been it's been something that they've been in before. But for them to just like we're going to buy Sony's gaming division, well, who's to say that Sony's in the business of selling? Right. I mean, that's and been a big driver for them too, and they're about to drop their VR kits in a couple of weeks. Now I do want to point out that Combat Chronicles did make another tweet saying there is always the chance that Disney just buys up something else, keeps ESPN, and gets even bigger. Or stands pat and does nothing. We don't know, but this is all us firing up Victor's Speculatron because we wanted to have some engaging conversation. Maybe you guys can tweet to us your thoughts on this whole thing. But for right now, we are going to get into my first choice of topic for today. And I have chosen fighters that say no to prospective matchups. We are going to start with a story that came out where Charles Oliveira and Jose Aldo sort of roast Connor for being Chicken McGregor. Oh, God. And I love this story. When asked which of the panel members had the best shot to beat Connor McGregor, Jose Aldo, who famously lost, you know, his featherweight title to the guy, joked that the biggest man on the stage was the most likely to get the job done. And here's what he said. I pick Poetan. Poetan can knock him out. A heavyweight now going to 185. We have Rafael at 170. We have Charles at 155. Our team is ready. Everybody wants this opportunity. And then Oliveira chimes in and he says, there are no fools here. Everybody knows we want this fight because he'll give us a lot of money. But I do think he's a guy that needs to be hyped. I've asked for this fight plenty of times and he never says anything. I'll be ready to fight him the day he wants, but I won't call him out anymore. Then Dos Anjos comes in. He was supposed to fight Conor McGregor back in 2016 at that uh, MGM Grand big, huge fight card. And he ended up getting injured, had the ankle injury Eddie Alvarez steps in, history is made, Connor gets two belts, blah, blah, blah. So Dos Anjos weighs in. He says, Connor picks his fights. Like Charles said, everybody wants this fight because it will be lucrative, but he definitely picks his fights. When he feels that a fight is good for him, he chooses it. We'll be waiting, but we'll continue fighting in the meantime. 
And then Charles continues, McGregor chickened out a long time ago. Like Rafael said, he handpicks his fights. I think he looks at the guy and says, I can beat this one. And then he signs the contract. He's right not to fight me because he knows what will happen. And he's goddamn right. Because Charlie would beat the brakes off of him. So this is what started me going a little further. So then I come across this story. Michael Chandler focused on Conor McGregor, a fight that has not been made. Just so you know, people snubs a call out from a top 10 UFC lightweight. (laughs) My goodness. It just doesn't get any better than this. So Armin Sarukian calls out Michael Chandler and Michael Chandler in a recent appearance on Michael Bisping's Believe You Me podcast, had this to say. I didn't respond because that is what he did. He ignored it, didn't even say a word. I didn't respond because, I mean, I haven't even seen him fight. Not disrespecting or whatever. I know he fought Mateus Gamrot. I haven't really seen Gamrot fight either. I appreciate the call out. That's exactly what I would do if I was him. But no thanks, man. I'm over here talking about Connor and Tough. You think I'm worried about freaking Armin to Sarukian with a silent T at the beginning of his name? It was a good call out. Good for him, though. He was coming at me, but that's now you ha- not how you get a fight with me, dude. How the hell do you get a fight with you? You're losing, and you're calling out a dude that's on a three-fight losing streak who isn't even in the testing pool as far as I know yet. Fighter says no. Armin Sarukian is a killer. And I think that Michael Chandler doesn't want to take the risk because the risk to reward scenario here is way off kilter. I will admit that. What is Michael Chandler's UFC record? He has gone two and three in the octagon. So out of his five fights, only two have been won. He holds wins over Dan Hooker and Tony Ferguson. He has taken losses to Charlie Oliveira, Justin Gaethje, and Dustin Poirier. Jorge Masvidal has a a fight with Gilbert Burns lined up. He rejected a five-round fight. The baddest motherfucker in the UFC, has a belt and everything, said no. He said, pay me BMF money if you want a five-round fight. This guy had the audacity to turn down those extra two rounds, which we all know the UFC is going to pay him more for a five-round fight. But he wants championship money because remember, the baddest motherfucker belt was their made-up championship. They ran it as a pay-per-view. They paid him insane money. And he wants insane money to fight Gilbert Burns when he's on a three-fight losing streak. You are out of your goddamn mind. Victor, what do you got to say? Well, the thing with Jorge is that, I mean, I, what I understood was he wanted a sort of a pay bump if they wanted it to be a five-round fight because I don't know if he's looking at it as 
I'm putting in more potential work over the course of those five rounds or, you know, I'm going to be Dwight. I don't know if he was asking for points for it to be like a, a, a pay-per-view headliner. Um, I don't think the UFC is I'm, I'm I'm actually relieved if that would be I would be relieved if that was the case. I don't think the UFC is taking that BMF title seriously. And, and, and really, no one should have. Let's be real. It was exactly. a, a sham title. It was a cute gimmick at first. But then you look at how fucking hideous that that lo- the, the whole belt was. It was cheap and low rent, just like their spectacle there. Um I it it no I I don't even all these guys talking about who they want to fight and who they don't want to fight and who's ducking who and all this other shit. Help me out here. Isn't this precisely what Dana White said wasn't going to happen in UFC and it was happening? It was rampant in boxing. Yeah. I'm just trying to figure this out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Boxing, a sport, by the way, that should have been dead by now, according to Dana White. But yeah. Okay. Fine. Awesome. Uh, look, man, it's all about if these guys were getting paid better, we wouldn't have any of this. I really don't think that would be the case. I think they'd be a lot less uh, concerned about it. I think they'd be a lot less worried about having the visibility of, uh, you know, the the, the, the potential uh, pot of gold at the end. Or I probably shouldn't be saying that because, of course, you know, that, that implies leprechauns and you don't want to bring that up when you're talking about Connor. So let me use another example. The grand prize at the end of the past the finish line. Let's say that, right? Uh, that's that's the thing when you're fighting Connor. Everybody wants him because he's the biggest money fight there is allegedly but we also know that he's the only guy getting pay-per-view points so i would imagine that that just means a big bump in your flat fee which if it's there you take right i mean it's not that's that's not something that would be an unreasonable expectation seeing as you're going to have a lot more people buying in which means there's probably a little more left over for you to you know take off the top if since you're not going to get any um any any residuals moving on um I don't I I thought the Aldo thing was funny like yeah of course Pereira versus Connor would be that would be that would be pretty fun I'd actually like to see them play tag I think that would be fun now that we brought that in let's let's address that they could put them on on if we make an American version of the Netflix series Physical 100 uh which my god everybody should see uh Sexy Yama is on it and that's all I'm going to say it's it's it is bonkers um if you do something like that a Korean game show that's that's absolutely off the wall yeah sure but yeah yeah this this whole thing with Jorge not, you know, he, he wants to fight Gilbert, but he didn't want that. And maybe, you know what, maybe he wasn't trading for a five rounder and the expectation of making it that uh, would be too sudden because that's happened as well. And I don't think it's unreasonable for you to say no. Uh, you said that he's going to be making more money. What if he isn't? Like, what if what if he wasn't guaranteed to be making any sort of pay bump if they just wanted to like, well, your contracted fee is, you know, 50K or 100K. Uh, and, and if you were in it, it's the same fight against the same guy. So, no, we're not going to pay you extra at that point. You're well within oh, yeah. your rights to say absolutely not. I should note this all stems from just a tweet that Gilbert had put out saying, right. come on, Dana, this needs to be five rounds. And immediately Jorge shut it down. This is yeah. not that the uh, I, I should have mentioned that at the beginning. This is not that the UFC offered him a five round fight. It is that the conversation was started from social media. So I do want to point that part out. Okay. All right. Well, I I wasn't clear on that either. Yeah. Sorry about that. (laughs) No, no, no. That's fine. That's fine. 
but it's that's um that's that's interesting. I mean, Hunter's going to have his chance to uh, get his his payday here and hopefully um, have a better showing than what he's had lately uh, in the octagon. And we're going to move exactly over to that because yes, he is going to be fighting Gilbert Burns, and that's going to be a tough one. I mean, I don't really think that he's got a very good chance of winning it, but I would like to see him try. And uh, not only that, but uh, the other person who was asked about this was the current welterweight champ. Leon Edwards. Now you might remember the origin of the uh, two piece or three piece in a soda. Yeah, you know that that whole thing that happened backstage in London. Uh, that's been uh, stewing, then fizzling, and then pretty much evaporated. But it turns out that uh, Leon, based off of the hype that that could generate, it seems would be actually welcome the possibility of fighting Masvidal yet again. In an interview with MMA Fighting, uh, I believe it was, yes, uh, let's see here. Uh, he was asked, you know, would you do you think that Masvidal could fight for the title? He says, for sure. If he goes out there and beats Gilbert, I think that's the fight to make. It's been a long time, three, four years brewing. Let's get in there and settle it once and for all and go from there. That's interesting. Uh, number one, the omission of Kamaru Usman had, completely from the conversation. Uh, that's I don't know. That's curious to me. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering why that wasn't even uh, a consideration in this. But then again, maybe just working purely off the hypothetical. And I'm not really going to put too much stock into that. Right. But should Jorge be the guy? I mean, is this really where things should be, seeing as he's been wiped out and made to look more than human? And what would a win against Masvidal even look like? I mean, is it is it something that would really instill confidence? Is it something that the, a, a pay-per-view buying audience would really be uh, hyped for? Maybe if it's set in London, maybe if it's somewhere closer to Leon Edwards' home turf, you could do something like that and have it generate some kind of buzz uh, on a major level. But I'm not sure too many people outside of that circle would be too thrilled. I don't know that that's really the right fight for you to make, seeing the divisional standings being what they are, because Usman is number one, Covington number two, and as we've already established, he's out there somewhere. Chimaev is currently training in Thailand, so I'm sure he'd be ready to fight with very uh, uh, little hesitation. Bilal Muhammad at number four, Gilbert Burns at number five. What is at number 11? Okay, Gilbert's at number five. So if he wins, sure, he'd leapfrog a whole bunch of guys, Jeff Neal, Stephen Thompson, blah, blah. But do you really think that Jorge should get the shot over a Bilal Muhammad? Do you really think he should be getting over Hamza Chimaev at this point? And that's assuming Chimaev stays at welterweight, okay? I'm, I'm very, very well aware, and we've discussed this here, that he could be making the move up to middleweight, and he probably realistically should. But would that even be feasible? Would that even be right? Would you much rather, whether merit notwithstanding, would you rather see that fight instead of a rematch with Bilal Muhammad going the way that it ought to go, right, with with uh, not being stopped by fouls. Would you rather that than a fight against Colby Covington and a fight that you could sell as Colby finally getting what he rightfully deserves, even more so than the Usman fight, right, because he could get it worse than that. I'm not really sure. I, I applaud Edwards for his um, – willingness to not poo-poo this thing uh that is in some way showing some form of relative praise and also kind of you know showing that he's not worried about fighting anybody in the division but i don't know chief i don't really like that but, but it's kind of interesting to see that Jorge does have another path for a title but what do you say to that Steffi? how are we feeling about this possibility so you've got number 11 taking on number five Number five just came off an incredible win. If he can manage to pick off number five and, you know, take that spot or 
any of the occupying spots between 11 and 5, as long as he's in the top 10, I really don't have a problem with it. Do, do I think other people are more deserving? Yes, I do. Do I understand how the UFC machine works? Unfortunately, yes, I also do. And if Masvidal gets a win over Burns, I absolutely seeing him getting a, a, a crack at whoever wins out of Usman and Leon Edwards because of name value alone. Because the UFC will want to capitalize on that. That would be an incredible accomplishment for him at this current point in his career right now, where he's sitting right now on a three-fight losing skin and not getting any younger and not looking like his skill set is as robust as it once was. I mean, we've actually seen the champion take on number 13 when we watched Dan Henderson, Michael Bisping 2. Dan Henderson was ranked number 13, and they saw fit to make that fight. So I have no illusions about the UFC and the way that they match their fights, because it all comes down to asses and seats and name value. This is not a meritocracy. I I don't like it. I mean, I, I gotta see how he does it. If he wins, which I doubt he will, it's gotta be like he's really gotta beat the brakes off Gilbert. Yeah, if he beats him, and it's a split. I don't want to see it. I would want to see a rematch. If he beats him and it's a unanimous. Right, exactly. I, I'd be okay. If he beats him, he knocks him out. He subs him. I'd be okay. If it's some fluke shit, you know, <laughs> and I poke that if guy can't continue a cut, anything like that, I'm going to need to see a rematch. Period. I, I would prefer someone else that's proven their chops more that doesn't have three losses behind them and this Hail Mary happened to be the miracle. So, anyways, I guess it's my turn now. (laughs) (laughs) What a segue. Okay, so my next story, my last story here, is about Francis Ngannou. Now, I know we talk about Francis Ngannou a lot, but I'm just really thrilled that the naysayers out there say that were going on about how his options are going to be very limited outside the UFC. Guess what? That is not the case. Francis Ngannou is one of two of the hottest properties in the sport right now. The other being uh, Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz is interviewing all sorts of opportunities right now. And Francis is as well. Eddie Hearn gave an interview yesterday, or was it the day before, to Ariel Hawani. And he said right there unequivocally, we have reached out to Francis Ngannou. We want a blockbuster bout with Anthony Joshua. We are not fucking around. We are making the meetings. We are in negotiations. We're making offers, blah, blah, blah. We want this. The news came out that Francis uh, was a free agent, blah, blah, blah. Tyson Fury immediately starts calling him out. Hey, you want the big boy money? Come see the Gypsy King. We'll make it happen. (laughs) And then, and then to, to top it off, Frank Warren came out and said, you know, obviously we're trying to unify the titles with Usyk right now. But if the Usyk fight falls apart, the very next option we want is Francis Ngannou. So I am loving this. Bare Knuckle FC has said they we want him. You know, they have a war chest too. PFL, they want him. They also have a war chest. Bellator, I'm sure, would love to have him. The thing is, is Francis is flush 
with options. And I am so happy for him. And I am hoping that by setting this example, other bigger names that are unhappy with what's going on in the UFC can maybe make the same journey. Kind of this is my opportunity to rub salt and throw some gas on the people that were saying Francis has no options. His best bet was in the UFC and him turning down $8 million is crazy. But remember, that would have come with a huge eight or 10 fight deal attached to it. And that's not what he wanted. Let me ask you a question, man. How much do you trust Eddie Hearn? I don't trust Eddie Hearn a whole lot. However, I trust what he's saying here because Francis is a hot commodity right now. Right. I do trust him here. I don't trust him with a lot of stuff, but I trust him in this particular instance. It's not difficult to believe him when he says that they've tried to talk to him or that they've extended uh, an invitation to address this and and to set up a fight. What that can mean, though... Probably not entirely too much in the sense that like, hey, let's sit down. Let's get some money. You know, what I believe this was more him attempting to use the media to demonstrate and to 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 express um, a willingness to work and a willingness to uh, really get into business and make something happen, which I mean, yeah, it, it can it can do certain things it can it can certainly help sweeten things in a relationship but you know i think francis and his management are a little a little too savvy to fall for that sort of um, thing here they're, they're not just going to look at what is said in an interview somewhere they're going to look at where you know the action on the paper right they're going to look at what is on offer okay because that's what ultimately you're bound to not what you tell you know helwani or okamoto or whoever um it's it's really what's there on you know in black and white when you sit down, and I I'm curious to see what that would look like, what a deal would look like there. I don't know that I'm as excited for a fight between Engano and Joshua as I would be maybe for the Fury fight, and then even then I don't think that Francis would be uh, would have as great a chance. Um, of being victorious there. And I, I don't want to poo-poo the thing or anything. I just I just think these guys have such an advantage being in that one medium, in that one arena for so long that it just doesn't it doesn't seem to me like that Francis would eke that out. I, I look, I I'd like to be pleasantly surprised. I'd like to think that maybe that can happen. But first we gotta set these fights up. And maybe the Joshua fight could also be something of a standby thing, but you also risk that if he loses, well, then he doesn't get the, the, the uh, does he also still get a chance to fight Fury? I don't know. Um, I I just, fine, I guess. I, good on him for sending feelers. It shows a great deal of respect that he's putting this out there and, and uh, expressing this in the manner in which he's doing it and, and showing, uh, giving Francis props. So fine, I guess. (laughs) There's not too much else really that I can add. I mean, this was mainly my way of showing everybody that the options are there. 
Yes, that is that is probably the best way to convey it. It's nice that that we have that there. But speaking of options, let me tell you about a man who has options and decided to strike one from his list. And that's Derek Lewis. <laughs> Turns out this week he's had a few words with some people. He's he's getting some stuff off of his chest mm-hmm. when the Houston native discussed a couple of things, including his retort to Daniel Cormier, who said that you know he implied or said outright that uh, I didn't I don't remember what the full comment was, but it was something along the lines that maybe Derek Lewis doesn't have what it takes to hang with the elite in the division anymore. Maybe he's not quite there. Um, you know, and then look, maybe Lewis is past his prime. I will absolutely concede that. But uh, to say that he's not really uh, capable of, of sticking around in the higher upper echelons of the division, Daniel, honey, baby, have you seen this fucking division? Uh, that led to Derek Lewis, who, of course, is not going to keep his mouth shut and is always going to be creative to call him a high cholesterol Cormier. As someone who's dealing with cholesterol himself, you got to hand it to him. You got to give him the golf clap. High cholesterol? Like, Jesus Christ, you had to go there, didn't you? Wow. I mean, that's not quite like telling you, hey, your mama looked like Pat Tanaka. No, not quite. But, mm. You had to dig deep for that one. You had to look for something rather obscure to attack the man over. And I respect it, especially since you're looking at two chunky dudes. But fine, that's that's fair. We can we can let that happen. <laughs> now, you may remember that Lewis has been on something of a skid. He had lost a tie to Ivasa, which I was personally shocked by. And then there was a loss to Sergei Pavlovich, which was uh, a fight that, you know, Lewis immediately had issues with he did not like the way that the stoppage went and well he decided that he does not want dan migliata to ref any more of his fights moving forward quote they act like they didn't see that last fight they're going to stop the fight all early and this and that and be like oh man i don't know if Derek still has it come on man dan migliata whatever his name is he's got a conspiracy out on me man the last two fights i lost he's been the ref And if he's the ref on this fight, I'm going to be like, nah, I don't want him. And if they're still going to try to put him into the cage, when he says, fight, are you ready? Fight, are you ready? I'm going to say, nope. We're going to need Herb Dean or somebody up in there. He ain't reffing none of my fights. No offense to him. He's a great guy, I'm pretty sure. But I don't want him reffing any of my fights. Bullshit. (laughs) You may remember. You may remember way back then, as my son likes to do when he's making fun of me. Back in my day. uh, Steve Mazzagatti was uh, a referee that kind of, well, I don't want to say he got blacklisted, but um, Brock Lesnar had some problems with him, didn't want him refing any more of his fights after the uh, Frank Mir fight, and decided that, you know, I guess somehow uh, the powers that be decided to agree, and I don't think Steve ever refed another one of his fights again. And that was that. (laughs) Will Derek Lewis get that kind of concession? I don't know. Is this something that that the commission would respect and honor? Is this something that they would want? Uh, Do fighters make these requests very often? I don't believe they do. We don't see this very frequently in MMA uh, yet. This is happening now, and I don't know, Steffi. I mean, do you think that his protestations are reasonable, and do you think he's going to get his wish of avoiding to have Dan in the cage with him? I've seen Dan be a good ref. I've seen Dan be a terrible ref. I don't know that I agree with everything that Derek is saying, but I have no idea what kind of pull Derek actually has, and if he can make a demand like that. Uh, Aaron Bronstetter, I asked him, who is your least favorite ref? And he said, well, to be honest with you, none of them. He said, they have a really tough job. They don't always have all the angles and views that we do. And maybe they're seeing something that we are not. And so I don't really have a least favorite. 
I just think they're all doing their job as adequately as they can. And I'm trying to look at referees more like that, but I have a hard time when I see egregious stuff and I guess recency bias and things like that play into that as well. But I, I really am trying to look at this as referees have a difficult job and might be seeing shit that I'm not. I'm kind of happy that he's putting it out there in a way, but I'm also, I mean, the tie, that finish was, that was pretty definitive. Like, I, I you know, I, I get what you're trying to say. And if you feel that a ref is probably not in, um, not operating to the best of their ability, you should say that. Sure. Absolutely. I, I just don't know that, like, you look at this, the, the, the tie fight specifically, the, the Pavlovich, like, fine. Let's yeah. say that there is some space for contention. Mm-hmm. I, man, I don't know, dude. Like, the other dude, that, that's the moment motherfucker got you. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't. And that's the thing, you know, I, of, of course, guys like Derek that have lost in such fashion, they need to say things like this to make sure that the promoter realizes, oh, this was a one off or this was the ref's fault or whatever. That's what they do. You know, I, and I get that. But yeah. I don't know that I want fighters to be able to have the authority to call their refs. You got to agree yeah. with me on this, right? I mean, yeah, you know, you, you can't. Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you on calling out egregious errors and yeah. things that they want to say. But acting on that, that's a whole other yeah. ballgame. Yeah, and, and and the other thing is like, okay, well, at what point does this does at what point do these requests become unreasonable? Right. You know, I don't think we're there quite yet, but mm. And mm. the other thing too is uh, how many other fighters are going to start wanting to do the same thing, lower tier fighters. Where's the line that says which fighters can call for a different ref and which ones can't? That's a very slippery slope to be on and I don't think it should be a fighter's choice. I think it's absolutely great for a fighter to speak out against a ref they feel has wronged them. But I don't know that I like the idea of them being able to dictate which ref gets to uh, work their fight. So that's that's just me. Right. All right. So we do need to get into our fight picks. Um, I have selected fights from both Bellator 290 and from UFC Vegas 68, because UFC Vegas 68 comes on extremely late. There's a lot of unknowns in there. If you're not a hardcore and haven't followed Road to the UFC or anything like that, you might not recognize these names. So I have selected two fights from UFC Vegas 68 and three from Bellator 290, because Bellator 290, in my opinion, is the stronger card. So... All right, let's start with Bellator 290, and I do have Mookie's picks. We're going to start with Saba Humasi and Brennan Ward. Wow, Swaggleberry. I don't even think he goes by Swaggleberry Finn anymore. What's his nickname now? I don't even remember. I didn't realize he changed it. Yeah, he's no longer going by Swaggleberry. Um, Let's see here. Does he have – I don't even see a nickname listed anymore. What the hell happened here? I'm over mm. here on Tapology, and I don't see his nickname anymore. So maybe he just did away with a nickname. But I know he had dropped the Swaggleberry, which I thought was like one of the coolest nicknames in the entire sport. I love that nickname. But mm. it's gone now. Anyways, Victor, how do you see this one going? Here's the thing, man. I love what Ward has done in his return. I also think this about Hamasi can... Ah, shit. I mean, this is a tough one to pick in a way. Mm. You know, I think that Brennan has the tools, but I, I don't know that... Uh, 
I maybe maybe Hamasi by virtue of being more active and more consistent with his run might be, but eh, you know what? I'm just going to go for the feel good story to continue. I'm going to go with Brennan Ward. I think I'm going to go with Hamasi. I just think that there's more in his tank at this point in space than there is in Brennan Ward's. They've both been fighting for quite some time too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but you got to remember Ward took that extended hiatus on account of his personal problems. Exactly, and, yeah. and you know that was coming off the heels of some losses too. Saba's had his own losses as well, and and losing streaks. I mean, he was on a two fight streak, uh, just a, a two fights back, and then four fights before and he he had four fight win streak. But right before that, he was on a three fight losing streak. So mm-hmm. I I look at that and. I don't know. This is a very competitive fight, but I got to take Saba Humasi. I just think he's got more at this point in space than Brennan Ward. And Mookie is also taking Saba Humasi. So we get to our next fight, which is going to be the co-main event. Johnny Eblen is taking on Anatoly Tokov. Now, that is a banger and a half. God damn. I I I'm telling you, Johnny Eblen did the damn thing when he beat Gegard. But I'll tell you what, I don't think he's going to do anything against Tokov. Oh, I think he will. Really? Uh, I, I'm I'm worried about how he's going to deal with the wrestling to a degree. But here's the thing, man. Johnny Eblen, like I feel like you know Bellator. Unfortunately, if you ask people, right? If you ask a casual fan, hey man, who's the Bellator middleweight champ? They're probably still thinking it's 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 Gegard. Right. You know, they like a lot of people just don't know that this cat. I mean, you look at how he dismantled Musasi. That dude is so, so fucking good, so good. And I don't doubt that he could march into the UFC right now and immediately make a case for being in the top ten. Like he could take on any of those dudes and from ten to fifteen and just stamp his his, his presence and be like, "Bitch, I'm here." You know what I'm saying? Like he just he has the skills to get ahead. And yes, it is a bad division, but he happens to be an exceptional talent in a very bad dis- division, which makes you something of a victim of, of a form of success that is very odd, right? Because you're great, but people can't really get a real read on how great you are because unfortunately, you know, some of these dudes are very, very inconsistent. So I think Tokov is another one of those dudes very much unheralded, but I think his body of work is uh, is excellent. He hits hard. He wrestles well. He works well in the clinch. He digs deep. But Evelyn's boxing can be so clean. His game plan follows are really good. Um his work with King Mo as a coach have been has been has led him this far. It's gotten him to look like a million bucks in a bunch of these fights, and he's got sneaky submission skills too to threaten and get out of bad positions, even if he doesn't get the finish. So I'm actually going to go with uh, Johnny Evelyn here. All right. Now we get to the main event. Oh, and I should note that Mookie is also taking Anatoly Tokov. Now we get to the main event, Ryan Bader versus Fedor Emelianenko. I tried to say it correctly. I don't know if I... Fyodor? Isn't that it? Fyodor? Yeah. Okay, Fyodor. I want to pick him so bad. Talk me into it, Victor. No, I won't. I refuse to. I'm gonna go with Bader. Listen, I, I did too, the I did the somebody... I did the the sympathy old guy, you know, rah rah thing last time. I ain't doing that shit again, man. You know, I'm only lending you my hat one time, motherfucker. I ain't doing this again. Fedor, I love him. I love the fight that he won against Tim Johnson. He's capable of putting on shockers like that, but man shit. I don't I don't see it happening here, man. All right. Well, Mookie is also going with Ryan Bader, and I am as well, but I was hoping Victor was going to convince me somehow, because you almost convinced me on Johnny Eblen. 
almost. But I still got to go Anatoly Tokov. I, I just think the wrestling is going to be the difference maker. Mm-hmm. All right. So now we're going to get into UFC Vegas 68. And while there are probably going to be lots of exciting bangers on this fight, I don't recognize a whole lot of them. So, and because of the very late nature of the card, if I had to recommend two fights that you need to see, these are the two. And the first one is the curtain jerker. Now I understand why they put it as the very first fight. It's because it's on so late. We got to have it at the goddamn Apex Center. So Korean Superboy has to fight in front of like two fans. Yeah, Joy, man. I'm happy to see him come back. Yeah, me too. Uh, But they definitely set him up with a super winnable fight. And so I skipped it because it's it's a given, almost a guarantee that he'll win that fight. So our first pick on UFC Vegas 68 is Tatsuro Taira versus Jesus Aguilar. And I am going to assume that we're all choosing the same way. I mean, Taira is appointment viewing. He has future champ written all over him. This is a gimme. I mean, the, the and the odds are ridiculous. I believe Jesus Aguilar is like at plus 750. Yeah, I think that's there for a reason. I ain't picking him. I'm going with Tyra. Yeah, and, and Mookie is as well. Good. Now we get to Derek Lewis versus Sergey Spivak. This one's a little harder to pick. I am going to pick Derek Lewis. Mookie is going to pick Sergey Spivak. I have to believe that Derek Lewis is not fighting in Texas. I have to believe in him jogging and getting in super uber shape and talking all this shit to Daniel Cormier, Calorie Cormier, or what a cholesterol Cormier, whatever. I have to believe in Derek Lewis. I want him to win so bad. Not that I don't like the polar bear. I just, I'm a big Derek Lewis fan. I don't know, man. I, I <laughs> oh God. you lose a few pounds, all, all of a sudden you call Cormier a fat fuck. I just, I kind of <laughs> respect the level of haterism. Like, I'm not like that guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, baby. All right, man. All right. You know what, man? Whatever. I'm going to go with Derek Lewis. Why not? He's finally in better shape and. Spivak, uh, I, I, you know, the thing is, when you when you got a guy like Derek Lewis, who you cannot count out, no matter how hurt he is, because he's going to come back with the wallop. If you don't believe me, ask Volkov. Like, you, you kind of got a thing where until that dude is is becomes fully like glass jawed, you can't count him out, and that's just where I'm at. I hear you. Well, Mookie is taking Spivak. I'm taking. I am taking Derek Lewis. Oh man. <laughs> I'm probably going to be crying on Sunday. <laughs> All right. So on that note, we are going to wrap up the show. Do me a favor. Follow this amazing gentleman right here. He is so fucking cool. He is at Vic M. Rodriguez on Twitter. He is also on Instagram and has an amazing Instagram filled with the best, most mouthwatering food pics and some really awesome travel pics. He is Victor Sinister Rodriguez over there. Mookie is on Twitter. He is at Mookie Alexander. And he manages, he is the managing editor over at SB Nation's Field Goals website. So if you're a Seattle Seahawks fan, that's where you go. Uh, Victor and I work for Bloody Elbow and it should be noted Bloody Elbow is not going anywhere anytime soon and neither is this show or any of the other Bloody Elbow shows I just want to put that out there for the time being we are good to go so 
Until next time, please stay safe. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Bivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, the Hey Not The Face Podcast, and radio-style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog and as always on bloodyelbow.com <laughs>